Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com/play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com/play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. It is SNY.TV's The Juice on the Cuse podcast, covering Syracuse basketball, lacrosse, and football. Today on The Juice on the Cuse podcast on SNY.TV, we'll be talking about a new book about Jim Beheim and a brutal loss for the football team. I'm Wes Jang, and I'll be joined later by Brad Bierman and our guest today's author of Jim Beheim and Syracuse basketball in the zone, Don Staffel. Don, thank you so much for coming on the program. And I want to get you started on this. You've been covering Alabama sports for over 30 years. You've written 2,000 articles. Why did you decide to write about a coach from central New York? Well, let me tell you why I wrote the book in general first, okay? Uh, First of all, thank you for inviting me to be on the um, uh, podcast. I really appreciate it. To answer your question, there's two, three good reasons. Well, I grew up in Little Falls and have been uh, uh, about an hour east of Syracuse, and I've been a big Syracuse football and basketball fan all my life. I was a teacher and a coach in Liverpool for 11 years, and at that time I used to go to all the games, going back to Archbow Stadium and football, Manly Fieldhouse, and basketball. I described the atmosphere in Manly Fieldhouse with this, the student zoo section, for those who can remember it. If they can, it's in some detail in the book. And another reason is, Vahan being the second winningest coach in the country is reason enough to write a book. But there's much more to his story and the Syracuse story and his success on the basketball court. To some, Bam's a polarizing figure. For whatever reason or reasons, people either like him or they don't like him. Bam's taken a lot of criticism and been a brunt of a lot of jokes over the course of his career, locally and nationally. And some of that's probably the result of his demeanor at times. But I think much of that criticism is over the top and undeserved. So I try to deal with all those knocks on Bayham and other issues that have confronted the program in a fair and a balanced way. And uh, how I did that was I asked knowledgeable people about those things, like Coach Krzyzewski, Rick Pitino, Dick Vitale, and numerous others about those criticisms and what they told me is in the book. But the book is about Syracuse basketball as much as it is about Bayham. Syracuse is an elite basketball program with a highly recognized name brand. With the Carrier Dome, it's a huge following, but it's even more than that. From my perspective, partly because of the Dome, the TV exposure, the formation and success of the Big East, the pro-Washington effect, and so many other things that, in my opinion, those are the things that made Syracuse basketball a very interesting story. It just seems that a lot of unique things occurred that made Syracuse basketball more than just basketball games. Sometimes the atmosphere in the Dome, those, ga- those games became happenings. So Syracuse at times, to me, 
just seemed to do things with a little more pizzazz in a way that I think set the program apart from other programs. All this and more to me uh, made Syracuse a very interesting story, and I thought that I would be able to tell it in an interesting way that would be enjoyable and a fun read for Syracuse fans. So those are those are some of the reasons why I um, decided to write the book. Don, talk to me about the process that went into this book, all the research and the interviews that you did. Basically, I started writing this book in, in 2010. And I was thinking at that time that, that Bayon would retire in the next two or three years and that I would have a manuscript pretty much ready to go when he retired. But, of course, you know, he still hasn't retired. So then, then I, he turns around, he's going to continue coaching, let's coach his son, Buddy. So I wasn't going to wait another four or five years. until the, so, so I decided to write the book right now. But I've been writing the book off and on for about eight years or so. Now, over that period of time, I probably, I didn't count them, but I probably talked to, I don't know, 150 or more people. Many of them coaches or sports writers who came down around the football games or basketball games, and I'd see them in the press box or press row, and if I knew they had a connection to Syracuse, I would get a quick quote from them or a story from them and make note of that. Uh, but the bulk of the book is based on by many very lengthy interviews with the people who know Jim Beheim the best. Some people from his hometown of Lyons, for example, his former teammates who still remain his life, former SU teammates who still remain his lifelong friends, others in the SU basketball family, some of his former players during the various days this year, for example, <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> for example, players like Roosevelt Boo or, or Louis Orr or Dale Shackleford and others who, who described the early days playing in Manly Fieldhouse. So those interviews took place, <clears throat> excuse me, over eight years. So they include information that people like uh, Coach Shashi Patino, Patel, and others told me at various times over those eight years as well as, you know, more recently, uh, as they updated it. A lot of people I talked to said things that didn't make it into the book because when you talk to a lot of people, as you probably know, many people are going to say, the same, say very similar things. So I decided that when that happened, which it did a lot, I used the closer information of the people who I thought knew him the best. Um, I also watched I, all of Bayham's press conferences. And whenever I saw him being interviewed on television or so forth, I also did a lot of research and tried my best to properly credit the sources. A few of the people who reviewed the book, one of the things they said was they were impressed by the amount of research that I, that I put into the book. So it's, it's an accumulation of a lot of things over, over about an eight-year period of time. Don, you just mentioned you interviewed over 150 people for this book. Incredibly impressive. What was your favorite anecdote from that time? Well, I, there's a couple of things, but one one of the things is probably the way that Bayhams former Syracuse teammates described him as a player. I was surprised by their willingness to give honest answers to questions, but some of the ways they described Jim as a player were very funny. His teammates remained friends with Jim, and some are still in regular contact with Jim. But I think they were all very forthcoming and happy to talk about him. Um, other people like Patino, who's always good for a good quarter of a story, he, he told funny stories. Uh, so I, I, I was just happy with the way that they responded and were, were willing to open up and um, talk about Jim. They're friends with him. But, you know, the, the stuff they said is, is accurate and true. Don, one of those teammates that you were talking about was Dave Bing, Jim Beheim's backcourt mate when he was in college. He wrote the forward to your book. So tell me what it was like working with him. Well, Dave Bing is a very uh, nice person. But I think he's a very private person, and I tried to respect his privacy. So I interviewed Dave a few times early on, 
But then uh, toward the end, uh, and he's always been very cordial. And toward the end, I, I asked uh, Dave if he wanted to read the manuscript. And I was only planning on asking him if he, he liked the book, if he would just provide an endorsement. But he told me he liked the book so much that it was an outstanding book. So after discussing the book with him, I asked if he would write the foreword. And he said he would be very happy to. I was extremely happy when he wrote a foreword that was much better than I expected. Uh, and one more thing. What's gratifying to me is that Dave and Jim's other teammates also liked the book. They said it was accurate, and they strongly endorsed it. People like Rich Duffy, who played with him, uh, George Hicker. Uh, so when people ask me if it's a good book, I say I think so, but don't take my word for it. Read what Dave Bing, Dick Vitale, and Jim's teammates and others have said about the book. So for that reason, I'm hoping people will consider buying the book as a Christmas or holiday present for all their friends as well as people who like college basketball. Uh, I plan to do book signings in the Syracuse area during the week of November 6th through 10th, and in the Utica Mohawk Valley area uh, a week before that, maybe October 29th or November 4th. But for people who can't make the signings and would like pre-ordered, pre-paid, signed autographed advanced copies of the book before it hits the bookstores and all that, they can uh, pre-order and pre-pay before October 15th by emailing me at dstaffel64 at gmail.com dstaffel64 at gmail.com and I'll arrange how to get a signed book to them. Don, thank you so much for coming on the program. Again, Don Staffel, author of Jim Beheim and Syracuse Basketball in the Zone. Remember, October 15th is the deadline for prepaid pre-orders for those who want signed and personalized advanced copies of this 408-page book with 31 photos that includes a forward by Dave Bing and is endorsed by Dick Vitale, among others. Check out DonaldStaffelBooks.com if you want more information or pre-order on Amazon.com. Don, thanks so much for coming on the program. Really appreciate all your insight into the book and enjoy the basketball season. Thank you very much for having me, Rush. I really appreciate it. Really looking forward to reading my copy of Don's book. And I'm now joined over the phone by the Juice Online Editor-in-Chief and my very good friend, Brad Bierman. Brad, how are you today? I'm doing well, Wes. Thank you. Brad, Syracuse with a disappointing 44-37 to overtime loss to Pitt on Saturday. Syracuse could have been 5-1 and in the top 25. Instead, they go into the bye week at 4-2 and and wondering what if. How bad of a loss was this? I had two sets of two uh, words about that. Bad loss, middle Tennessee. <laughs> this is a game you can't lose, Wes. I mean, same as with last year, and Scott Schaefer came back with middle Tennessee State, losing to them in the Dome, uh, and then, of course, did beat Clemson after that. But uh, bad loss. I mean, this is a conference game on the road you have to win. You and I documented last week how they've only won there one time in 2001. Uh, they, they, it's a hard press to win on the road in the ACC for Syracuse football since joining the league. You, you have to win this game, especially when you start fast. You, you have to you know, maintain that, that type of pace throughout the game. And the other thing mystifying to me, some of the play calls, especially in the second half, uh, when you just needed four yards, three yards, one yards, instead of you know, looking for longer plays instead of just you know, what the pit defense was giving Syracuse, so a little bit uh, confounded by some of the play calling, some of the time and clock management and the pace of that game in the second half. And, of course, you know, give Pitt some credit. I mean, this is a grudge match. These are two rivals that play each other every year. They wanted to win just as badly and, you know, came out and, and did what they had to do, come back to win. 
Brad, one of the concerning things about this game was the play of Eric Dungy. He completed just 18 of 38 passes and got intercepted twice. Was this a blip on the radar or a sign of things to come? Well, I think it's a little bit of a blip on the map. And here's another game management item that, that your question you know, kind of reminded me of. I was wondering if it wouldn't have been wise for a series or two to play Tommy DeVito Saturday just to break it up. One, Dungy's been taking a licking, right? I mean, he's running the football, getting hit. You know, it's much harder than it appears to be on TV. Uh, and so these are, you know, teams that are going after him. He's a marked man. His wide receiver core isn't as great as last season. They're getting better, and the running game has been you know, somewhat steady. Offensive line, to me, has been a little bit of a disappointment with all that preseason hype of, you know, this is the best offensive line we've had since we've been here, the Cody Martin transfer. Uh, I've still been, you know, wondering about that, that unit's cohesiveness. So I would have – I think it's a blip on the radar for Eric Dungy. I think, obviously, the off week and then two dome games will be maybe the right tonic, but – I really think with a player like DeVito, the weapons, you know, playing Howard at the running back, shaking that up a little bit, I, I was kind of thinking, you know, should DeVito have played a few series against Pitt? Brad, Syracuse is in the bye week, and on October 20th, they return to play a must-win game at home against North Carolina. Where do you think Syracuse stands now? Are they going to eke out a bowl game, or are they still comfortably in? Well, I, I'm certainly still thinking bowl game. This loss to Pitt certainly gave me a lot of second thoughts seeing the lack of depth at the linebacker core on defense, uh, the emerging young secondary. But I still think the schedule is pretty favorable. I think this team will bounce back. Again, though, I thought they would bounce back a little bit stronger for 60 minutes against Pitt and did not in the second half. But I do think they'll bounce back. I think they still will beat uh, North Carolina in the Dome. I'm just not as sure now, even more so, that they'll beat NC State in the Dome. Uh, Wake Forest, to me, they should win that game. Uh, they, they, you know, again, though, Wake's going to be, you know, this is a rivalry game. They're home just like Pitt was. Uh, I really think they'll, you know, win the Louisville game and that'll be a burst out game offensively, uh, for, for some point production in the dome in that Friday nighter. Don't think they'll beat Notre Dame, uh, at Yankee Stadium and probably will not beat DC, uh, in the finale. So you're right there at seven and five-ish, but I think they will get a bowl and, you know, I'd hate to see going back to the pinstripe bowl for a second Yankee Stadium game, you know, within a, a month or so. I know the pinstripe bowl likes to have Northeast representation, but really it would be great if Syracuse could just travel a little bit, you know, a chance to recruit in another area of the country. Uh, I'd like to see that happen. But, again, you'll take a bowl game, right, for a program that hasn't played since, in one since 2013. Brad, we are right at the end of our show. Your closing thoughts. Well, it's right along the same line as you're asking about the schedule, Wes. So Syracuse returns home uh, on October 20th to play North Carolina. Time to be determined, you know, as usual, 12 days in advance. What kind of dumb crowd will be there? The university was, you know, riding the wave of the of the quick start uh, and then the loss to Clemson, you know, a highly ranked team, putting together a digital marketing campaign, extolling the virtues. Come out to Syracuse football in the fall and let some of those other you know, leaf-raking and picking of apples wait. But – the pit loss certainly kind of hurt it. So I still hope that this community will come out and support this team because it needs that support as Dana Babers is building the program, you know, from scratch. So be interesting to see what kind of turnout for the two October home games against the teams from the Tar Heel State. 
And Brad, my closing thoughts are on former Syracuse forward Chris McCullough, who was waived by the Pistons over the weekend and on Monday signed a contract to play overseas in China. McCullough appeared in just 59 games in his three-year NBA career, and you have to wonder if an extra year at Syracuse coming off that ACL injury would have helped boost his stock and keep him in the NBA longer. But best wishes to him as he begins his international career. That's it for us for Brad Bierman. This is Wes Chang reminding you that I'm currently desperately trying to use fewer adverbs unsuccessfully. You've been listening to the Juice on the Cues podcast on SNY.TV, and we'll see you next time. This has been the Juice on the Cues podcast, part of the SNY.TV audio network. Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. 